Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Today, my guest is Carrie O'Toole. Carrie graduated from Liberty University in Human Services, specializing in marriage and family therapy. She is a board-certified life coach and attachment-based intervention specialist, certified crisis responder, and is credentialed in grief following trauma and spiritual and psychological first aid. Carrie is also an adoptive mom and a rad mom. She helps parents through their own grief and trauma resulting from parenting traumatized children and helps parents through the decision of placing a child outside the home or continuing to parent. She's a life coach, author, speaker, and filmmaker, and she also offers retreats in Castle Rock, Colorado. Carrie, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Tracy. I was just listening to that bio and it's like, wow. Right. It's not very often you get to hear about yourself. It's so funny. Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm glad to be here. Great. So first and foremost, you are a mom of children with reactive attachment disorder. Correct. So share a little bit about your story. Well, our story is not a fun or easy one. Our story is complex and difficult. And, um, so the, here's the bare bones of it. You know, I, I feel okay talking on your podcast because I know that you're talking to rad parents who get this world, but it's very difficult when you're talking to parents who don't really understand the world of rad, because what I'm going to say in like just a couple of minutes can sound very trite and very, um, like, well, why did you end up where you are if you know if you don't really understand the issues around rad so i'm just practicing my story with that that it's not as simple as it sounds in these first few minutes well and said we can talk about that after i'm done but basically right. <laughs> okay. here's the gist of my story starts out that i have an adopted brother from vietnam so i'm an adoptive sibling So before my husband and I even got married, we said, hey, one day, let's go to Vietnam, let's adopt. And then we kind of forgot about it. And years later, when we were trying to have a family, we struggled with some infertility and miscarriage. And anyway, then we ended up adopting our oldest son, who is now 28. We were at the hospital when he was born. It was an amazing thing. We were the first ones to hold him. It was just like everyone in the room is crying, just what an amazing thing. Wow. And then when he was six months old, I found out I was pregnant. So our two are 15 months apart. Wow. Like here, we thought we were never going to be parents. And then within 15 months, we have two. Right. We had two nurseries, double stroller, you know, all the stuff. Wow. And life was good and crazy and full and all of that. And when they were a little bit older, like around six and seven or seven and eight, they came to us and sort of ganged up on us and said, uh, we want a little brother. And my husband and I were like, well, that's nice. You know, (laughs) I started saying, well, mom's body doesn't work so well. And they're like, ooh, gross. We don't want a baby. We just want a brother. Like make it happen. To play with. Hello. So at that moment, we kind of remembered that we had said we wanted to adopt. And so we went to the same agency that we had gone through with our son and said what we were looking for. And at that time, because they were seven and eight, now I I want you to understand this was back in 2000. Okay. Okay. So in 2000, the internet was still pretty new. There was no Facebook. There was not much in the way of information Mm -hmm. out there. So you know, here we are, we're already adoptive parents. I was an adoptive sibling. You just do it. Sure. And so when we went to them, to the agency, they said, do you have any, 
you know, criteria or whatever. I don't even remember how they said it then. But I said, you know, the only thing I'm concerned about is I had heard about Russian block countries at that time that had kids that were being adopted that somehow couldn't attach or they weren't bonding with their parents or something. I didn't really mm. understand it, but I said, that's really the only thing that I'm concerned about. And isn't that interesting that you even knew about yeah. it? Well, yeah. I had heard some horror stories and basically about like walls of children where they had crib after crib just lined up and babies were mm -hmm. like newborns trying to crawl for bottles because they knew that if they couldn't get that bottle, they wouldn't be fed. And uh, so then they come here and they didn't trust anybody. And uh -huh. so I'm like, well, I don't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. That sounds horrific, you know? Mm -hmm. So I said, that's really the only thing that we're concerned about. And they said, is race an issue? And I said, no. And they said, well, we've got a lot of kids right now in Vietnam. Really? Went, oh my gosh. That's where my brother, that's what we said. Right. Yeah. Whoa. You know? So hello. Uh, so we put our application in and it, it took about as long as a pregnancy. You know, I think it was about nine months before we traveled and all of us went and uh, you know, when we first got there, we were concerned. You were? <laughs> yes. There were some signs right when we got there, but you know, everybody blew it off. Every single person we talked to. Oh, you just need to get him home. You just need, you know, he doesn't understand what you're saying. There's a language barrier. It's really noisy here, you know, because we were thinking he might be deaf. He wasn't responding to things. And we took him, we actually took him to a, a Western doctor while we were in country. And it was crazy because this French nurse comes. So we're in Vietnam. Nobody mm -hmm. speaks English. And I'm holding this little boy's hand and we walk in and, and they're like, oh, hello, mademoiselle. And I'm like, where am I? <laughs> Just crazy. You know, he had issues all over his body with, with teeth and some other stuff that was just, you know, we knew we were going to have some stuff to deal with. And so we were wondering about all of the behavioral stuff that we were seeing. So first of all, how old was your son at this time? He was uh, between three and a half and four. Okay. So three and a half and four. Mm -hmm. And so what did you, you know, your spidey senses were tingling. What yeah. you mentioned, and you mentioned a few things, but how would you describe that for parents in the same situation? What did you see or feel? It was just this feeling like something is not right. The information that we had gotten was that he's a well-adjusted child who plays well with others and all of this kind of stuff. Right. And let me give you one example. They put him in the car with us. They just asked him, do you want to go with them? And he jumps in the car. Oh. And we're like, well, this is kind of weird that he'd want to just drive off with strangers. Right. Just comfortable and hops right in. Yeah. And we had him with us in the hotel for like five days. And our kids helped with that a lot because, you know, playing is playing in any language and they would do and do stuff like that. But when they weren't around or when he wasn't just being entertained, mm -hmm. it was crazy. Really, it, it felt to me like we had let an animal out of a cage. Really, and watching him just go berserk. Wow. Um, for instance, the first day we, it had well even before we left the orphanage, they asked him if he needed to go to the bathroom, and he said yes. They told me to take him and showed me where the bathroom was. Well, it was evident he had never gone in a toilet before. Really. Yeah, because I'm trying to, you know, he just started going on the floor. Oh, wow. And so I'm trying to move him forward and he, he, he freaked out. I don't think he knew what the toilet was. So, you know, as soon as we got to the hotel, we're telling our older son, okay, your job, big brother, is showing <laughs> how to use this potty here. So <laughs> thanks, was, mom. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> right. was great, though. That was, that was kind of fun. But, um, then we're at the hotel and we hadn't eaten in a long time. So, you know, here we are, new country, 
we didn't know what we were ordering. We just ordered some food and had it brought up. And so we're in our little hotel room. There's a little coffee table that we put the food on. And our kids, you know, took their, I don't remember whether they had chopsticks or forks or what, but they, they started just taking a bite and eating and sitting there. Well, he, and by the way, this is not our son's name, but in public, we call him Sam. Great. So Thank you. Something to call him. Perfect. Um, yeah, so he just started grabbing handful after handful of food and shoving it in. And then he started running around the table and laughing and just stuffing and laughing and running and stuffing. And all of a sudden he just threw it up. Oh, and wow. Like, oh my goodness. What is happening? What, what is happening here? Yeah. We realized he had never been in a car. He didn't know what a seatbelt was. That freaked him out. He had never been in a restaurant. He didn't know how to sit and eat, you know. Um, just everything we did was like, he didn't know, but kind of didn't want to know and was just going to do what he was going to do. Hmm. And he was terrified, terrified. I mean, when we'd go out, he would stay with us, but like he didn't want us to comfort him. He didn't know how to go to sleep. Here was something that was very interesting. We were in a, um, an air conditioned hotel. He had never had air conditioning before and he could not stand it. And he wanted to be outside where he could hear the traffic. So I would take him outside. And you know, one of the reasons we didn't want uh, uh, to start with a baby again was just because of where our kids were. And, you know, we didn't know anything about this. So we're just thinking, oh, what would be convenient? What would fit? You know, right, right. Nope, I get it. They didn't tell us anything about, I mean, we did have some training and there was actually an attachment therapist who came in and talked about rad. But once again, it, it's what everybody hears. Oh, it's very rare. Yeah. It's very rare. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So, you know, we're calling home from Vietnam, talking to the agency saying, we are really concerned here. Really? And they guilted us. Yeah. Basically. And it was like, okay, then get on the plane and leave and come home. We're like, but we're already here. And there, there's other kids here. You know, I mean, if, if this doesn't work for our family and they're like, oh, so it's about your family and it's not about this child. I mean, it was just like, we're like, it's about all of us. We right. all matter. Right. You know? And so anyway, we took him to this doctor. The, the doctor there basically said, you know, he, he helped us with some of the medical things, said this is, he's had some surgery, but it's healed up well, that's good. So you don't need to worry about that. Um, this will be okay, get him home, this will be okay. You know, he just kind of reassured us. And he said, you're just not saying his name right. And he doesn't, it's very noisy where he lives, get him home where it's quiet and you'll all be fine. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we're Hindsight, like, right? Hindsight, I yeah. hear that. Yeah, you know, as a rat parent, and I'm yeah. like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so we just kind of trusted, and right. you know, our faith played a huge part of this. I mean, we felt like God called us to adopt, He led us uh, through the whole time. The nuns that ran this orphanage said, you know, that God had chosen this child for us, and so how are we supposed to walk away from that? No. It's, you know, and all we had been told was, you know, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it and all of that. Well, yeah. he did, but not in the way that we thought. Right. And, you know, just an aside here, because listening to your story, um, it's not something that's often talked about, but just um, I'm glad you brought up talking about that level of trust. You're trusting this agency, these professionals, these doctors, you knew enough and you're still reaching out, but you know, that guilt that you were feeling, uh, the way that things were presented to you, that's just not talked about. So I'm, I'm just glad yeah. that you're saying that because I think that's very common. I know personally I've experienced it. I'm not going to talk about my story, but, um, I can relate. And so it makes me yeah. think I'm sure so many people can, and what a, a vulnerable situation to be in. Oh yes. In a foreign right? country. in a foreign country. And you know, you feel responsible. I made this choice. I'm here. And other well, people paid, at this point, you have paid 
thousands right. of dollars. And the money, right. And, you know, the plane tickets, all four of yeah. us, and we, we took our kids. So they're there. Here's your right. brother. You know, your what, kids are there. You yeah. 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 And, you know, later on, when I was going through some really tough stuff, I ended up in a psychiatrist's chair and, um, <laughs> They do have couches, but you don't have to lay down. Just like, <laughs> anyway, um, I remember talking to him about this. And one of the things that kept coming up was, why did you feel you had to be the one to rescue? Yep. What is in you that made you feel like this was, Yes. you know, and I had never looked at it like that. So it's just so interesting. But when you haven't talked about that, when that has not been approached, you haven't been approached with that topic. Nobody's kind of gotten in your face mm-hmm. and said, why do you feel you have to do this? Why is this you? Why this child? Why going to another, you know, we did have people come up and say, why aren't you adopting here in the U S but a lot of it was kind of pro approached in sort of almost a racist kind of way. And especially with the Vietnam war and veterans, a lot of veterans had an issue with us going. I and see. I understand that because they had a lot of trauma over there that's you know and we saw it we saw the remnants there was homelessness that was um so very sad we there were crippled people and people that were mangled and it was from this agent orange you know so we saw some of that and so they were saying you know i i don't think it was a racist thing really i think it was more just the whole deal between the countries and what happened. And um, one funny story while we were there, we kept being told, don't talk to the soldiers who, by the way, so they're communist soldiers. They are walking around in uniform all the time with their, you know, machine guns on their backs. And their people said they don't like Americans. Don't talk to them. So we're kind of trying to stay away, but they're everywhere. And we went to the zoo so many times because we were killing time and trying to find something to do and we could walk to it from our hotel. So one day we were at the zoo and our daughter at the time was, I think she was seven. She had long blonde hair and she was wearing one of the outfits that they, their cultural outfits, we had them handmade and everything. They loved it. By the way, you know, I know people have a thing about cultural appropriation or whatever here. They do not have it over there. They want you to wear it. They want you to buy it. They have great pride in it. And so these outfits are called Aoyai. And so our daughter was wearing one and the boys, I think maybe had a shirt on or something like that. And these soldiers came up to us and they said, these your children? And I said, yes, you know, and we're kind of, my heart is pounding outside my (laughs) chest. And he said, you picture us, your children. And so we have a picture of all three of our children sitting on the laps of communist soldiers in a zoo in Vietnam. Incredible. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Hey, Rad Parents, have you ever wondered how it would feel to tell your story? It just might be your story that changes a life and helps someone. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, go to radtalkwithtracy.com, click on the podcast link and apply. Everywhere we went, people wanted to touch our daughter's hair, which freaked her out, you know, but she had this long blonde hair and they don't have any in their culture. There's no personal bubble. So people will just come up to you and start touching your child and, and pull her away from you. And oh, stuff. Gosh. I'm just smiling saying, yeah. it's okay, sweetie. They just like your hair, you know, anyway. It, so we come home. I'm the mom on the international flight with the child who is shrieking oh. for hours. Oh, and everyone's looking at us and, I, you know, they're like, could you do something? No, he was terrified. He felt like we were kidnapping him, which in some ways we were, Mm -hmm. you know, everywhere we went in Vietnam, I would say, would you please tell him, you know, like we had to take two trips. Would you tell him we're leaving? We're going to go get a room ready for him in our house. He's going to come live with us. And, oh, he's just a child. They would all say, really? Nobody would tell him anything. Oh no. So when I went back, I went on, uh, the first trip was with my husband and our two other kids. The second trip, I went with my mom and my brother who was adopted from Vietnam and had not been there since he had been adopted. 
Amazing. Which talk about emotional whiplash. We're dealing with my son's trauma. We're dealing with my brother's trauma. He was having flashbacks. He was, he remembered the smell. Really? Um, Oh yeah. The minute we landed. This is your brother? My brother. How old was your brother when he was adopted from there? 14 months. Okay. That's amazing. Out of the war. He was on one of the last flights out of Vietnam before Saigon fell. And so here he is. I'm trying, I don't remember how old he was. You know, with trauma, I know we forget how, where yeah. things fit in time. Right. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we landed and my brother said, I recognize the smell. That is remarkable. Yeah. So, I mean, we, there's a whole other podcast in that. But um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway, so we get him home. And we just keep thinking, you know, give it time. Yeah. He, he'll, he'll start to settle in. Right. And there were certain things that did, mm-hmm. but the attachment piece was just so difficult. And that was the one thing I told them, you know, I'm like, that's, oh. that's my concern. Oh. And what they said to us was, Oh, well, then you want to go to Vietnam. They treat them just like family there. And and it's wonderful. And well, yeah, they were loving, but there's like 40 kids in a room with one woman. You know, we got tours of the back, the back part, and I have pictures and there's 40 cribs in a room with two babies in a crib. Oh my gosh. You know, perpendicular in the crib. Right. And there's no noise none of them are crying because they learned it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Their needs are not going to get met. Oh, that's so eerie just to yeah. even picture and yeah. think about. Yeah. Wow. So we watched some of the older school ki- school age kids who were in this orphanage. And what we learned was many of them were unadoptable. Either they had been kidnapped and found and placed in the orphanage or um, their parents had placed them there for help with food and stuff like that, but they were not available to be adopted or they couldn't find their parents. So they couldn't get consent. So they were stuck there till they age out, you know, but we saw some of the older kids come in after school and they'd go in and help feed the babies. And a lot of times it's just plopping a bottle in, you know, right. None of the affection and caring and holding just a lot of the babies couldn't even off the off the cribs you know they couldn't wet sorry lift their necks Mm. they didn't have enough strength yeah a lot a lot of them just laid on their backs you know what we learned about our son when he got home as we started getting him in for some testing and had taken him to all these medical clinics and dealt with all of the the medical issues when you first get home and also we had a therapy appointment set up with this therapist and um, he was like this is absolutely rad I mean, absolutely. So we knew from day one. Oh, wow. You know, just like, oh, great. Okay, what do we do now? You know, so we worked with this specialist for like four years, had him, I went, I drove about an hour to where he was once a week. After a a season, we even had him come to our home paying like a thousand bucks a pop just to have him come and observe in our home and see what he was doing, you know, that kind of stuff. But we just kept going, this is it. There's just something we're not clicking, you know, he could play. He, he could, he had a hard time playing by himself. He had a hard time not being entertained. He would just sit and not do anything. And when you were in Vietnam, you know, you're describing the orphanage and everything really well, but I'm sure a lot of that kind of sunk in later because when you're there, even though, you know, you had really good instincts and, but so much happening, like you're saying your entire family's there, just everything that's happening. Did you see that or really know what it all meant when you were there? Was it when you got home, all of those images and things started to fall into place and make sense in your mind? Probably a little of both. Yeah. There was something that we knew there, but in fact, my husband was pretty concerned about it. And he, he was kind of like, I don't know. Wow. And I'm the one who pushed. Yeah. And then we get home 
And of course, most of it, it was aimed at me. And oh, right. It was very, very challenging. And my husband went straight back to work and the kids went to school and here he and I are stuck on our own. And I'm driving down to the counselor in Colorado Springs. And um, he said, I'm talking to him about helping our son get to sleep. And he helped so much because, you know, we had him on a little mattress in our bedroom thinking that would be helpful. He's like, you could be purple. You speak Martian and you eat weird food and you smell weird. This is not comforting to him. He said, put him in a crib, put some white noise on, turn the light off and he'll sleep. And we did that and he slept. I'm just like, but I wasn't sleeping. Mm -hmm. We came home and I wasn't sleeping. And so my trauma. Part of it was jet lag, but because I had made two trips in six weeks and it's a long, long trip and it's 14 hours different. And so we came home, but every night I would be so exhausted and I would lay down and then all of a sudden it's one o'clock and then it's two 30 and then it's four. And then I'm in tears because I know another day is starting and I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think I can do it. So I'm seeing his counselor and the counselor said, you are in crisis. We've got to get this dealt with before you can do anything else. So that was the first experience with medication. Mm -hmm. And just, I want to reiterate that. And I, here's my trauma brain. I can't even remember what you said 10 seconds ago, but that, and unless you take care of yourself, right, you have to do that first or nothing else is going to. Yeah. And, and I was trying, but my body was not participating. And I went through years of sleeplessness. I went through anxiety, depression. It was all, you know, they would call it generalized anxiety disorder. They would call it like um, adjustment disorder because we had had a huge adjustment in our family and I was having a hard time adjusting and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, I wasn't diagnosed with PTSD until years later, but I know, I now know that's what it was. So yeah, I'm struggling with sleeplessness, anxiety, depression, all kinds of stuff. And we were at church one time and I was going through this class and I went up to talk to the teacher and he looked at me and he said, are you sleeping? I said, no. And I just immediately fell apart. Yeah. And I told him kind of what was going on. And he has this friend who is a psychiatrist. He said, you need to call him. And I'm terrified. I'm like, crazy people go to psychiatrists. So you're telling me I'm crazy. And he said, no, what I'm telling you is that your brain is not handling this well. And this doctor knows a lot about brains. So go go talk to him. So I got there and I was so terrified. And the very first day I just said, I'm so scared. You're going to tell me I'm crying. I'm t- I had to have a friend drive me there by the way, because I couldn't drive anymore. I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't function. Right. So this friend takes me and I said, I'm terrified. You're going to tell me I'm crazy. And he held up his diagnostic pad and he said, Oh, I have all sorts of things I could say you are, but crazy isn't even an option. Oh, <laughs> And I, I just loved him from that. He's right. like, oh, crazy. Oh, just what you needed to hear. Yeah. 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 So I took a bunch of meds and um, I remember when Michael Jackson died and the doctor came on and listed all of the meds he was on. I'm like, Ooh, that little cocktail sounds familiar. Hmm. I was taking many of the same, just probably not at the same doses. And I wasn't being administered IV, you know, and right. he died Yeah, from that. And I'm just like, but I understand that when you can't sleep and you're so anxious and your whole world has just been flipped upside down because I, all I ever wanted was to be a mom and to feel like you're failing as a mom, not only Uh, with this child, but then with your other children too. And you watch what it's doing to them and you feel your marriage falling apart and you don't know who you are anymore, but you Mm -hmm. can't do it. And I mean, we tried every kind of therapy there was. We had him in for prayer at our church numerous times. We went through OT, PT, (laughs) vision therapy, you know, every kind of therapy, attachment therapy. At one point, we were paying more in therapy than for our mortgage for about two years because I was in therapy. He was in therapy. My marriage was in therapy. And at, at different times, the other kids were in therapy. And 
it was so crazy. And then life feels like it's therapy, right? Then yeah. that's a whole other level where you're like, now I don't even feel normal because now everybody's in therapy. Right. Our life is therapy. Sunday nights were spent figuring out the week of who do I have to take where? Yeah. And it wasn't like activities. No, I know. Doctors and therapy. Yeah, appointments. So um, we parented for eight years and there was a night, it just kept getting worse. It just kept getting worse. We would try a new type of therapy. I tried different therapists, found that I was the one educating the therapist. They knew nothing. They would tell me they did. Right. I'd call and do an intake and it's like, okay, I need to know, do you understand reactive attachment disorder? Do you understand attachment issues? Oh yeah. And then I'd get in there and I'm educating them. Right. And it was person after person after person. And, you know, it's just hopeless at that yeah. point. And I was researching, like I said, the internet was very new, but I was learning how to Google and trying to find, you know, I'm looking all over the country we did have him at Children's Hospital here in Denver as a, a, what did they call it? Inpatient day treatment. And they had him for like five days and we didn't think our insurance was going to cover much more, but they said, we're going to call because he needs more. And they got 17 days approved. And we were like, wow. Thank God. Yeah. Wow. This, he's, he's sick, you know? So we got him back and we're hoping that maybe things were going to change. And for a few months, it seemed a little more hopeful. And then it started crashing again. And by that Christmas, I was just, you know, anytime there was a spring break, a Christmas, a um, vacation day, you but dreaded it summer, oh, dreading it, I, you know, we're, we're recording this early March. I would be nervous about spring break, but also I would start to be really petrified about summer, right? I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. And um, I realized now that was trauma, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So anyway, the, the story of how this all shifted is a miracle in itself. I had told my husband one night as I was crying myself to sleep again, night after night after night, I just said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I'm, I said, I'm going to die. I yep. said, you are going to end up a single parent. And it's not because I'm leaving. It's because I'm going to die. Oh, I just got goosebumps. I just I said, I don't one. have a diagnosis that says I'm fatal no. or, or whatever, but I can feel it. Yep. My body is shutting down. I'm going to die. Yeah. 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 Yep. And my husband finally got it. I mean, we had been battling this thing for so long and finally he said, I see it. I know this is after eight years, eight years. Yeah. I just wept when he said he understood oh. and that he would help. And that we right. would do something. And I said, I'm not talking a Band-Aid here. No, no more just, oh, let's try this therapy or let's try respite or let's, it, we've done all of that. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it means, but I can't do this anymore. The next day, no kidding. I'm in a friend's consignment shop because like I said, we spent everything on therapy and I needed a dress for something that for his work. And I walked in the store and she said, hey, guess what? And I said, what? She said, we're getting ready to adopt. And I said, oh, are you finally going to get your little girl? Because here's the backstory. Two years prior, they had asked my husband and I to go to dinner with them and tell them the truth about adoption, the good, the badly, the ugly. And we said, okay, we will. We're not going to give you the fluff. Mm -hmm. And they were looking to adopt. At this point, they had four little boys. Well, no, at that point, they had two little boys. They pulled out of that adoption because she found out she was pregnant with twins. Oh my God. So here we are a couple of years later, their boys are now 18 months old, the little ones, and they're looking to adopt. And I said, are you going to get your little girl? She said, no, God's made it clear. It's a boy. He's local and he's older. And the night before I had just said, I can't do this anymore. Ugh. But when she said that, I just started to weep because that's mm -hmm. not what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay, how, how can we help? And I said, could you just take him tomorrow for a day? Cause we couldn't find anybody who could take no, him. No. And it, the thing is he would do great at their house. 
He did great over there. He loved all their kids. He could play. He did all this. He was, you know, and what was so cool was they had boys at all different ages. So if he was acting like a four-year-old, they had a four-year-old. If he was acting like an 18-month-old and crawling around on the ground, he could do that. And they had two more. If he was talking like a bigger kid, they had one of those too. So he fit no matter what he wanted to do. At our house, he never felt like he fit. He did not like being the youngest. He told us that over and over. He just hated it. He did not want to be the youngest. We had cats. They had a dog. I mean, just all these things that he just didn't like our family for mm-hmm. and told us over and over. And he went over there and it was so bizarre because he went one day and then he went for the next weekend and then another weekend. And we just felt like we were watching our son move into another family and without really us wanting it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we knew we needed to do something. We didn't know what. It was just happening. It was, we're watching it happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a couple of weird things happened. Um, She called me one day and said, so she had put our son and her oldest who I, I, so ours was 11 or 10 or 11, I can't remember exactly. And theirs was nine and they had them in bunk beds. And she said they they were outside listening outside the room, kind of, you know, eavesdropping as they right. were going to bed one night. Sure. And they were talking about, wouldn't it be great if we were brothers? Yeah, when do you think you could move in? And then one night they were at a basketball game that our son was playing at and some other kids were playing around in the chairs while we were watching. and this other kid came up to their son and said, why are you here? And they said, oh, we're, we're here to watch Ben. And they, they're like, why are you here to watch Ben? And he said, cause we're going to be brothers. Wow. So we're watching this and we're just sitting there going, what in the world is happening? Right. Right. And in the middle of this, I had a session with my therapist, which was weekly at that point. And she said to me, what do you want to happen? And I snot cried for 45 minutes, just could not say it. Mm. She said, quit thinking about what everybody's going to say, right? Family's going to say what your church is going to say, what your friends are going to quit. What do you need to do? Mm -hmm. And I snot cried some more and just couldn't even get a word out just ugly, ugly, Mm -hmm. sobbing, gut-wrenching, sobbing. And I said, I want them to adopt him. Big moment. They they had been taking him on weekends. And my husband said, I just don't want him to feel abandoned again. And a couple of days later at dinner time one night, he just said, can I go over there this weekend? And we're just like, oh my gosh, he wants to go. He wants to go. So the weekend of uh, President's Day, 2009, they had him for the whole weekend. And on Sunday of that weekend, which so that's a four-day weekend, we would have had, had him on Monday over there too. On Sunday, our daughter at this time was 16 and she was in driver's ed. And she was out driving with an instructor about nine o'clock at night and the doorbell rang. Hmm. She was just driving by and wanted to say, hi, look at me, I'm driving. But when that doorbell rang, I thought they were bringing him back. And I collapsed on the floor. As soon as my dog, I I said, oh, hi, sweetie. Good job, way to go. And the second she left, I shut the door and fell on the floor. Yeah, fell apart. And I just said, I can't do it. I'm not ready for him to come home. He was supposed Mm -mm. to come home the next day. I said, would you call and see if they can keep him longer? My body just would like leave on Friday. I'd kind of just sleep Friday night. I'd wake up Saturday, try so hard to just engage with my family and be a human and try to do something so that they could see that I was there. Yeah. And by Saturday afternoon, my anxiety was kicking up because he was coming home the next day. Yeah. I knew I couldn't do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm a pretty powerful person. I was the drum major of my high school marching band. I was, I, I did a direct sales 
uh, company for a while where I had 140 people in my downline and was an executive director in the company. I spoke at conferences. I was a speaker. I was a teacher. I've done all kinds. I was a high school band director. I've done all kinds of things. And thinking about this little boy coming home could totally unravel me. And so anyway, my husband called them and said, can you keep him a little longer? And they said, you know, we're ready. We're ready. And, and they said, really, I think he's ready too. The back and forth is not good. Because he'd go really well and then he'd come home and it was way worse. His anxiety would spike over coming home now. Right, right. So um, my five minute story that I was going to tell you was not <laughs> right. five minutes. And we ended up having to go to court. This took about 14 months. It was a long process. It is a long process. Was he staying with the other family at this time though through it? Yes, we gave them medical power of attorney and, and guardianship over time and all of this kind of stuff. And we had to go to court and we're grilled by a judge and some lawyers about whether we were fit to be parents or not, and had to basically say, no, we are unfit to be his parents. We cannot handle being his parents. But they were in the court at the same time. So we relinquished his rights and they adopted him. So he was never an orphan. Mm -hmm. And the judge or the, the, their attorney kind of came after us a little bit at one point and the judge told him to back off. He said, you know, I'm in family court and so many times I'm here because a child is being ripped away from their parents because they're abusive or neglectful or there's, there's a, you know, drug issues or whatever. And he said, this in my court is a happy day. Four parents have come together in the best interest of a child. So leave them alone and back off. Way to go. Way to go judge. Yeah. So from that time, more therapy, horrible depression, separation from my husband twice, um, trying to deal with all the aftermath of this and recognizing how much grief and trauma we had actually encountered because nobody ever talked about our grief and our trauma. It was always focused on him, which yeah. that's valid. Right. He's got it. We, we constantly trying to seek help. So from that time, I went back to grad school that's when I got my degree. Literally, I'm not kidding. I started grad school like nine months after he was gone and I was a mess. Wow. But I did it. Yeah. And I, I studied everything I could find on attachment and therapy and uh, trauma. Then I was diagnosed with PTSD. <laughs> I'm like, okay, he's not even here anymore. Right. Yeah, PTSD. Yeah. Okay, so I had to go through all kinds. I did everything. I did EMDR, neurofeedback. I've had a lot of inner healing prayer, which has been spectacular. And what did your PTSD look like? Different things would trigger it. Usually sounds, sights, smells. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it would be seeing another boy who looked about his age and looked like they were functioning pretty well. And all of a sudden I would just have this overwhelming grief that would hit. So the thing that I've learned from crisis response is that grief and trauma go together. And when they're both present, which I mean, when I'm trying to think not wouldn't be both present. Right, exactly. <laughs> they, they sort of fight each other a little bit true too, because grief, um, you need to remember to be able to grieve. Mm -hmm. Trauma makes you forget. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of find a way to put these things together to help heal this up. But for me, like a good example was when my daughter came by in the car. Right. And I just flipped. Yeah. It was when the, the phone would ring in the middle of the day and I thought it was the school. And I, I'm just in a horrible panic of what right. did he do? And I'm, I can hardly make it during the hours that he's gone. If they have, if I have to go pick him up early, I can't, I can't do it. There were days I would call my mom and say, I don't know how I'm going to make it till lunch. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just that kind of thing, not knowing how I was going to survive a day. Right. And like you say, once they're out of the house, it's not like it goes away. You're ne better the next day or no, even the next fact, month. This is what I do now. Yeah. I, I'm a coach. I work with clients very much like what we're doing right now. I, I coach clients on Zoom. Right. And some on the phone, because some of them don't want me to see them. 
Mm-hmm. There's so mm-hmm. much guilt and shame attached to this. Right. But um, yeah, I work with clients right now on their grief and trauma from parenting a traumatized child because whether the child's still in the home or whether the child's outside the home, so many of them, if they place them in a therapeutic facility or a boarding school, or they've been readopted or whatever the case may be, so many people are like, okay, once they're gone, we'll be able to just settle down. Right. And it's like a whole new level of grief hits. It is exactly. Yeah. And because I, and I even think for the first, you know, months, you yourself are still in some kind of fog and you know, to, it takes time to even come out of that. I think to be present, to get help. You know? Yes. Yes. We've been working with a, an organization called radsibs.org. Yes. And this is an amazing group. It's, it's very new. Um, they've only been out a few months. I know them because I have worked with them and what we've discovered is so many kids who are siblings of kids with RAD are suffering. I, I coach with some of them. We've done one-on-one. Sometimes I'll bring my daughter in. She's now 27. She lives with us and they have a little baby girl and did a session with her yesterday, which was amazing. There was a little 14-year-old girl who, 14 year old girl just really struggling, yeah. wanting to just talk to somebody else. Yeah. Did you feel this? I feel so alone. Nobody gets this. Right. I, I'm I'm suffering. Yeah. And you know, that's the other group that isn't really hasn't right yeah. underserved and hasn't even been recognized until now. I love it. Yeah. We have a nine-year-old, his sister has reactive attachment disorder, but uh we've signed up right when I think it started. And you know, I didn't know if it was going to be too old or for no. him. And it's not, and he, he looks forward to the um, cards in the email. They've sent him a birthday card. Well, let me tell you what we're doing now. That's even, that's even more. I'm so excited. So starting April, we're going to have three specific groups for different ages of kids who are rad sibs. We've added three new coaches to carry O'Toole Ministries in the last month. Wow. These coaches are going to take these groups. And so we've got one group that is going to be like eight to about 12, and then one that's going to be 13 to 16, and then one 17 and up. So there'll be like six to eight kids in a group on a Zoom thing with a coach who helps them share their stories a little bit. You know, it's not a lot about that. It's it's more about finding resources, understanding you're not alone, meeting other yeah. kids seeing them eye to eye. You mean you're one too? Right. Yes. This is my family too. Right. And making friends and having people that you can say, this just happened and it's really weird. Did anybody else have this? Right. And learning that there's other people out there. So if you're interested in that, if you have kids who are ages eight and up and they can be young adults, they can be in their twenties. If you've got kids that might be interested in that, we're literally putting the website and all of that together right now, but hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be all set. You can either go to carryotool.com and look under coaching or look on the store and you can purchase it there. Or you can go to radsibs.org and find them because they've got a lot of videos out from kids that are siblings sharing their stories. They've got resources. When we do these these groups, what's so cool too, is they're putting together little swag bags. Oh, that's the best. So they're getting some fun things that they're going to be able to use during the coaching time. Oh, so cool. So yeah, look at that. Cause we're starting that. Uh, it's going to be Thursdays for five weeks, starting the beginning of April. And they just register online. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think they're doing fantastic things. So thank you for letting me plug that because the first, we've been asked about this so many times. And truthfully, when it was just me, I just couldn't do it. But now having three more coaches, yeah. it's like, oh, we can open. And they're all rad moms and they uh. all have master's degrees and they've all had training and they get this. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's not easy, but I know that we all appreciate it. Absolutely. And you know, I, I just want you to know, I, I feel like I can tell it a little bit better than some, not, not better, but like, 
I'm not weeping through it anymore because yeah. it's, been, it's been 11 years, 12 years. For some of you, you know, I remember the first few times I tried to tell it, I just uh. not even, it, it's just so, so horrific. Yeah. I actually did a, a talk thing where I went around to different places and, and did the same talk over and over for a whole year so that I could get through it without the ugly cry. So, right. you know, if, if you're trying to tell your story and you can't get through it without crying, same, same right. here. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm living a good life. I'm, I'm yes. living a very fulfilled life and I'm not triggered all the time here and there, but way, way, way less. And I know what to do with it and I don't shame myself about right. it. And so it's just like, eh, had a trigger today. Okay. I'm going to go take a nap. Right. And you know, people always talk about pre-rad, the, the me before rad, the me after rad. And I think what you're helping to say is that at the initial after rad, and even, you know, for some time after you are different. And I think yeah. even, even the years after you're always going to be a little different, but just recognizing that, you know, going through it is one thing coming out the other side is another thing, but there is that ability to heal from it and get back yeah. to a happy place, feel like yourself again. Well, you know, in fact, we call that post-traumatic growth. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I was just going to say that before. Yeah. yeah. It's like, we all hear about PTSD. We all, right. PTSD. well, great PTSD. I'm going to live with this the rest of my life. It's like, no. Yeah there is post-traumatic growth. And yes. what that looks like is you could be someone so amazing that you never could have become had you not gone through this. Exactly. And that's what I want to offer to people too. Yes. Is there is so much hope out there. So much. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So even in that after side, when it's hard finding yourself, that's that post-traumatic growth. Absolutely. Thanks for, yeah, you were reading my mind. So Awesome. Love it. Well, thanks again. We'll have you back and we'll learn more about what you do with your coaching, your book, great. your retreats, everything. Sounds great. Thank okay. you so much for having me, Tracy. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.